might you turn in your Bibles this morning, congregation, to 1 Kings chapter 10. Continuing on in our series, The Life and Reign of King Psalm, we come now close to the end of his reign. And as we come to this chapter, one commentator said it's almost like the Spirit is taking us on a tour through a great museum that it caused us to take a step back to behold the the glorious features of the kingdom of God. And how at the very center of this kingdom is a gracious and glorious king. We'll begin reading at verse 1. Read on to the end of the chapter. This is God's holy and inspired word. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, the attendants of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord. There was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I had not believed the reports until I came, and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these, that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almond wood and precious stones. And the king made of the almond wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. No such almond wood has come or been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon, so that she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold, besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the west from all the governors of the land. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three miners of gold went into each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. The throne had six steps, and the throne had a round top. Now on each side of the sea were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests, while twelve lions stood there, one on each end of the step on the six steps. The like of it was never made in any kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. And the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. For the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. 
And once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come, bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought an audience with King Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present, articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone, and he made, silver, and he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. And Solomon's import of horses from the Egypt in, in Solomon Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt in Kew, and the king's traders received from Kew at a price. A chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so through the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So far, the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in an age of great skepticism and unbelief, I trust we've all heard the expression, you've got to see it to believe it. And who among us has never wondered whether or not something might be too good to possibly be true? Well, the Queen of Sheba seems to have had a similar perspective here in 1 Kings chapter 10. In the last nine chapters of this book, the Holy Spirit has been unraveling before our eyes this great success story of King Solomon. Not only has God given him a wise and discerning heart, but God has also given him what he did not ask for, namely riches and wealth beyond measure, so that no other king compared to Solomon in all the world. And we've seen how the people of Israel have been reaping the benefits from God's faithfulness to King Solomon. You recall from chapter 4 how the Spirit told us that Judah in Israel, as many as the sand by the sea, they ate and drank and were happy. And in this ancient world in which the nations were constantly at, at war with each other, fighting for land and territory, we've heard about how Judah and Israel lived in safety. Each man under his vine and under his fig tree. For God had given Solomon rest on every side. He had established the kingdom in Solomon's hands. You heard at the end of chapter 4 how God had given Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. That Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all people of the east and of all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men and his fame was in the surrounding nations. All people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And with this wisdom we know that Solomon has also built this beautiful house of the Lord and that it was there at that house that God's presence was made manifest amongst the people of the Lord. And he did so with the promise that his presence, his name, would be there for all time, as he said at the start of chapter 9. But when the Queen of Sheba heard these reports about Solomon's wisdom and about his relationship with the Lord, she, she was plagued by the question, can it really be? Can it really be that there is a, a king on this throne in Israel who can answer all the questions that, that weigh so heavily on my heart? Can the reports about his wealth and wisdom really be true? She had to see it to believe it. 
And so she determined that she would not rest until she found what she was looking for. She loaded up her caravans and journeyed from over a thousand miles away to come to the city of Jerusalem. And thus went down in history one of the most famous, significant diplomatic encounters ever recorded in the course of human history. A foreign queen from a foreign nation is is graciously drawn into the kingdom of God to meet face-to-face with God's king. For us, congregation, the queen's journey from Sheba to Jerusalem is, is much more than a matter of mere historical entry. But Jesus tells us in the Gospels that the queen's journey from afar has profound spiritual implications for those who are near. Jesus said that this queen who traveled from afar, from the ends of the earth, would, would judge those who were near, those who were near to God's wisdom, but who would not take heed of it, though he himself had made himself manifest and known in their midst. And while the kingdom of God today might not look the same as it once did in the days of King Solomon, we also need to recognize this morning that it's no less glorious. In fact, the kingdom is all the more glorious today as it as it now transcends those boundaries and borders of Israel into all the world. And the treasure that we as the church possess in the king today is far more radiant, far more excellent than the gold and silver of Solomon's kingdom ever could be. The apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 2 verse 3 that our treasure is the Lord Jesus himself and that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so King Solomon recognized this morning is but a picture, a wonderful prophecy of this greater king who has already come, who has come to live and die in our place, who was raised in a seat at the right hand of God, who rules over us, even now in his wisdom and grace. Here in 1 Kings chapter 10, King Solomon is sitting on Christ's throne. He is only a placeholder, a picture of what we now have in full. And as he answers all the Queen of Sheba's hard questions to the point that that he takes her breath away, we're reminded, aren't we, that King Jesus takes our breath away as well. When we consider his wisdom and grace and we devote ourselves to to growing in his wisdom, to growing in his grace, we too come, come to say with the Queen of Sheba, but behold, the half was not told me. For Christ's wisdom and prosperity far surpass we could ever begin to think or imagine. And so as we work our way through this passage, I'd like for us to consider three things together this morning. First of all, the king's worthy reputation, and then secondly, the king's blessed servants, and then finally, the king's glorious grandeur. Our passage begins now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. And here we discover that the queen has come to King Solomon not simply because she had heard of his fame in a general way, but rather because she had heard of his fame with particular reference to the name, to the name of the Lord. For as Eshi de Graaf notes in his promise and deliverance, it was known throughout the world that Solomon was not wise in and of himself, but that Solomon's wisdom had been a gift of the Lord's grace. And so we read in verse 2 that she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue with camels, bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all 
that was on her mind. Or more literally, she told him all that was on her heart. For her heart was heavy laden with the weightiest of burdens. The queen, you see, has not come to Jerusalem for merely an extended business trade trip for trade and commerce, nor has she come to just to make some kind of alliance against a common enemy, but, but rather she has come from afar to satisfy her curiosity. For she had heard of Solomon's great fame concerning the name of the Lord, but she wonders if, if the reports can possibly be true. She wants to know whether or not this king is truly worthy of his reputation. And not only that, for if she finds that he is worthy of his reputation, that must mean that his God is worthy of her full dedication. And so we read that she brings with her a great caravan with camels, carrying spices and large quantities of gold and precious stones, not for trade, not for military alliance, but rather for wisdom. For wisdom, says Proverbs 8.11, is far better than jewels. And whatever else you might desire cannot be compared to her. As we read in Proverbs 16, verse 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding and to be chosen rather than silver. And so the queen has come to to test the king, not with hard questions, not as a a hard-hearted skeptic, not as a hard-hearted cynic. Rather, she has come to test him as a heavy-hearted sinner who's in search of a savior. She's come to King Solomon with a burdened heart that wants to know who Solomon's God really is. She's come with a heavy heart that wants to know the the answers to the hardest questions that, that plague man this life. Who am I? Why am I here? What's going to happen when I die? What, what's to be done with this, with this sense of guilt that plagues my conscience? The queen has experienced everything the world has to offer. And it would seem as though she has the world at her disposal, riches, wealth, and, and fame of her own. But no answers. Everything in her life, even the glamour of being queen, has come up short. None of it has left her feeling truly satisfied. For as Augustine so famously said, God made us for himself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. And so in his sovereign grace, the Lord himself has drawn the queen of Sheba from afar to to come before King Solomon, to to lay before him all the the burdens that were on her heart. And seeing her desire for wisdom, her her longing for the truth, we, we see the spirit of Christ in King Solomon as he receives her warmly into his kingdom. He patiently listens to her as she speaks to him about everything that's been weighing heavily on her heart. This should come as no surprise to us, for the king Solomon had, had prayed for this very thing in 1 Kings chapter 8, that he prayed not only for Israel, but also for the foreigner who would, who would hear about the name of the Lord, his outstretched arm, his redemption of Israel, and they would come and, and hear of him. And so by God's grace, the wise king sees her for what she really is, a lost sheep without a shepherd. He takes pity on her, and he has compassion on her. Because despite all her wealth and all her riches, the queen from afar was without hope. 
She was without hope because she was without God in the world. Congregation, how great the burden, how heavy the, the human heart must be apart from the wisdom of the Lord. How dire are the straits of him who has not the answers, who, who knows not the meaning of life and his place and purpose in the world. What, what misery it must be to have only questions and no answers. I wonder if this queen from afar before coming to King Solomon had ever lay awake at night, tossing and turning, sensing that, that all was vanity as she sought to find a meaning in a world that, that seems to be so meaningless apart from the Lord and the wisdom of his word. So you can imagine what it must have been like for her to experience burdens lifted when Psalm, we read in verse 3, answered all her questions. For there was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. King Solomon is indeed a shadow of the greater king to come, isn't he? King Solomon, his wisdom from God, is but a picture of, of King Jesus, who condescends to us, who, who tells us why things are the way they are. He, he shepherds us in the way of life, making us to, to lie down in those green pastures, leading us along those still waters of his word. And in so doing, he, he takes us out of that kingdom of darkness, that kingdom of, of questions and no answers. And he brings us into the kingdom of light. For he himself, in his very person, is the answer to all our questions. He, in his very person, is the way, the truth, and the life. And he reveals himself to us in the midst of our, of our heavy hearts and our burdens on our shoulders and says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And so we can sing, as the Queen of Sheba must also have sung so long ago, when the needy seek him, he will mercy show. Yea, the weak and helpless shall his pity know. He will surely save them from oppression's might, for their lives are precious in his holy sight. And so we read in verse four, verses 4 and 5 that when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, and the abundance of food at his table, and when she had seen the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing his cup, and his cupbearer, and when she had seen his burnt offerings that he had offered at the house of the Lord, she, her, there was no more breath in her. All of Solomon's success and prosperity had been the outpouring of the wisdom given him by the Lord. And now this queen from afar has begun to see that for herself his palace, his food, his officials, and so on. They're all couched between wisdom from God in verse 4 and devotion to God at the end of verse 6 as Solomon made his burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. For it was there at the temple that King Solomon especially revealed the glory, the glory of the Lord's grace. For there she saw the lambs that were slain upon the altar and the blood that was shed for the atonement of sin, as that blood pointed forward to that greater Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. In that congregation, the, the culmination of God's wisdom made manifest in the blood of the Lamb, that's ultimately what takes her breath away. For there she came to see that everything Solomon had was owed to the grace of the covenant God of Israel. 
For although we know that the word of the cross, the word of this blood of the Lamb, is folly to those who are perishing, to those who are being saved, it is the wisdom and power of God. And this is what King Solomon revealed to the Queen of Sheba. This was her salvation. This was, this was the answer to the burdens of her heart. And so as I said earlier on, we must see this morning that this queen who comes from afar then serves as a warning to those who are near. Many, many years later in the Gospels, Christ is, is going to highlight the unbelief of Israel, the unbelief of Israel's leaders. When he says the queen of, south, of the south will be raised at the judgment with this generation, and she will condemn this generation because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, now a greater Solomon is here. Christ speaks a word of warning to those who are near, to those who have the wisdom from God right before them, to those who have God's wisdom proclaimed in their churches, in their homes, in their schools, but who refuse to see, who refuse to hear him with the eyes and ears of faith. The wise king proves himself to be worthy of his reputation. Therefore, he proves himself to be worthy of the queen's praise, which we see secondly this morning in the king's blessed servants. Listen again to how the queen responded to all this. After she catches her breath, she exclaims to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I had not believed the report until I came. My own eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and your prosperity, they far surpass the report that I heard. As great as this queen was in her own right, having a great caravan of spices and gold, she yet recognizes that she stands in the presence of one who is greater. Solomon had taken her breath away. God's kingdom and God's grace had taken her breath away. For his wisdom and wealth far surpassed what she ever could have imagined, exceeding her expectations, unraveling any, any doubt she might have had in her mind. Because the news about God's king and the wisdom that he shares and the news about his glorious kingdom, it isn't too good to be true. But Christ's wisdom and generosity far surpass what we ourselves could ever begin to imagine or fathom. If you've come to know King Jesus, then you've already discovered that he is everything he's, he's said to be and more. For Jesus is the one true king. And the reports about him are far more remarkable than the reports that the queen had ever heard of, of King Solomon. Solomon was wise, but Christ is infinitely wise. And whereas Solomon, we know, is going to fail Christ, will never fail. But Christ prevails. Indeed, says one Puritan pastor, those who through grace are brought to experience the delights of communion with Christ, they will say that not one half was told them of all the pleasures of wisdom's ways and the advantages of her gates. The Queen of Sheba traveled over a thousand miles to hear the wisdom of God's king. 
So how much more shouldn't we be willing to travel to know this wisdom in the purest of forms in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? What would ever hinder us from embarking on this spiritual journey? What would hinder us from from staying the course along this spiritual journey? In Christ are, are hidden all the treasures and wisdom of wisdom and knowledge. The Apostle Paul writes those words with with chains around his ankles. To the world, he has nothing. But Paul knows that in Christ, he has everything. Because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so how can we not plumb the depths of the scriptures to know him and his perfect wisdom more and more? King Jesus is not intimidated by the hard questions that weigh heavily on our hearts. Nothing hidden from him that he cannot explain to you. So often the psalmist pours out his heart before the Lord as he he wrestles with the hard questions of of living in a sin-cursed world. And here we see that we can do that too. We too can pray and And sing the words of Psalm 25. Lord, to me thy ways make known. Guide in truth and teach thou me. Thou, my Savior, art alone. All the day I await for thee. And so the queen goes on to exclaim in verse 8, Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Those who belong to the kingdom, they are the truly blessed ones. The servants of the king, they're the ones who who know true happiness. They're the ones who who continually stand before the king and and hear his wisdom. And we're those blessed servants. We're the ones who hear his wisdom. Each and every Lord's day, we're the ones who hear his wisdom when we search the scriptures. And for that reason, we, congregation, we don't need to to toss and turn at night. Because in Christ, we have the answer. We have the solution. He is our wisdom from God in whom the love of God has been revealed. And so the queen finishes her testimony by praising the Lord in verse 9 with with words that we can take upon our own lips with reference to Christ. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and, and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Because of his eternal love for his people, God gives them a king who loves wisdom, who executes justice against their enemies and righteousness on their behalf. This is our great comfort this morning. God makes Christ king and and delights in Christ as king because of his love for us. This is our comfort as we encounter the folly and foolishness of this world. As we come up against the folly of of our civil leaders and the intellectual elites of our day. Where it seems as though so much injustice is done, we have a king in whom the Father delights. 
who sees all things, who's, who's come again to judge the living and the dead. And who will take us to be where he is as we confess in Lord's Day 19. No one is more loved in all the world than the covenant people of the Lord. For although they are bruised and beaten down by the world, and although they're despised, they're counted fools, they're counted as sheep to be slaughtered, they are greatly loved with an everlasting love that will never perish, spoil, or fade away. For God has delight in his king, and he has set him on the throne. All this wisdom, all this prosperity, the queen from afar finally gets it. She comes to see that it all flows out, out of God's covenant law for his covenant people. And, see, and so beyond the praise of her word, she, she renders to King Psalm whatever she has left, the 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spice and precious stones. She pays homage to God's king. And in return, Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all that she desired and asked for. And so she receives not just his wisdom, but also the king's blessing. And so it is also for us this morning, if we've come under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. For this marvelous story of this queen from afar is just one instance. Just one instance of the glorious grandeur of God's kingdom and of his king who who sits upon the throne. Reading through this whole chapter really is somewhat like taking a tour through the magnificence of God's kingdom. And the author's praise of King Solomon invites us to take a moment to stand in an amazement at how breathtaking God's kingdom really is. We read about Solomon's great prosperity and wealth and riches, all the, the gold, all the ivory flooding into the kingdom and And we may be inclined to say, wow, Solomon is just being super excessive. But that's not what the author of 1 Kings would have us to think at all. At least, not quite yet. That's why throughout this chapter, the author has has emphasized things like Solomon's fame stemming from his relation to the name of the Lord in verse 1. And and God placing Solomon on the throne because he loves Israel in verse 9. And then he gives us the the interpretive key in verses 23 through 25 of all this glory, all this grandeur. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence or the audience of King Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had, had placed into his mind. Every one of them brought presents, articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. The kingdom of Solomon, as it's described here in chapter 10, is, is to propel us forward to the coming of the kingdom, to the coming of the kingdom for which we long. Through this description of Solomon's kingdom, the author might as well be saying, you think Solomon's kingdom is something special? Just wait and see. Continue on in this the spiritual journey of following the king. Just wait and see until we finally arrive together at the heavenly gates of Jerusalem the gold, and then, then we'll really see how glorious God's kingdom really is. 
That's how we're to interpret the splendor. That's how we're to interpret the, the glorious grandeur described here. The like of it was never seen in any other kingdom, verse 22. A throne of ivory overlaid with gold, 500 shields of pure gold. All the king's goblets made of pure gold. All his household articles, pure gold. Silver was as common as gravel. Such splendor, such prosperity, it's all meant to take our breath away. He was greater in riches and wisdom than all the kings of the earth. And so we read that the whole world saw an audience with the king to hear his wisdom that God had put in his heart. An audience with the king. What a privilege that is. That's what we continue to have this morning. We'll have forever in the new Jerusalem an audience with the king. See, congregation, this journey of the Queen of Sheba and this note about the surrounding nations paying homage to God's king. This is the hope of the gospel that we, non-Israelites, can, can read of the wisdom given to an undeserving outsider. We can read of this glorious grandeur described here. And, and in Christ, we can say, that is mine. That wisdom, that glory, that grandeur belongs to me. Although we have no right to in and of ourselves, it is ours nevertheless by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. The grace of God, which, which abounds in the kingdom today far more than gold abounded in the days of King Solomon. Let us behold the king's glorious grandeur. We see it now by faith, but a day is coming when we shall see it with our eyes. We shall see our king face to face. And so we pray, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come and take our breath away. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you as servants of the King in grateful adoration and praise that he is truly lovely, that he is marvelous, wonderful. That we can say the half was not told us. That he is far greater than we could ever begin to imagine or fathom. Lord, we thank you that because you loved us, you gave us a king with a wise and discerning heart that because you loved us, you placed him on the throne where he sees all the wickedness of the world around us and where he says that we can look up to him confidently as just judge who will deal righteously with all our enemies and who will take us to be where he is forever. We thank you, Lord, that until that day, this day is a day of grace. That you show that grace to us, which abounds to us. And Lord, we pray that you would reveal that grace also to the world around us. That all would come to see and know this glorious King who takes our breath away. We know, Lord, there are many in this world who indeed lay awake at night, tossing and turning, because they know not the way, because they have not the answers. And so, Father, we pray that you would draw them near as you drew in the Queen of Sheba, that you would bring them into the kingdom of Christ.
that all of their questions would be answered, that their burdens would be lifted off their hearts and shoulders. Use us, Lord, for that task and for that witness. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.